Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you all felt when the alarm clock went off. <laughs> Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, we've been, uh, we've got to get going through this thing here. So Lord willing, we'll uh, cover some ground. Second Timothy chapter 2, we left off about verse 12. We'll back up to verse 10. And before we do that, Brother Cole, would you ask the Lord's help in uh, Sunday school class this morning? Amen. All right, now verse 10, chapter 2, 2 Timothy, the Bible says, Therefore, Paul says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us so right here in uh, verse number 12 he's talking about reigning and uh, what's being denied is the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ you're not being denied entrance into heaven you're not being denied your salvation but that's contingent upon suffering and you got to remember and I know you know this but simply uh, rightly dividing the Bible and defining it through the context of Scripture is that context dictates everything. And some people have stumbled across that verse and think that if they don't suffer for Jesus Christ, they're going to wind up in hell. Well, that's not what it said. And I know you know that, but we cover that because we're right here. Don't ever think that because if you don't suffer, you're not going to be able to stand before the Lord and he'll throw you in hell. I ain't how that works. But the reigning has to do with suffering. And the denial has to do with denying you the opportunity to reign. Now look over in Colossians 3.24. Now if you're going to reign with Jesus Christ, and I hope you want to, amen? I hope you do. If you're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ, it's going to take some suffering. I look at Colossians chapter 3.24. Colossians 3.24. Look what Paul says here. Knowing, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Uh, so you see, uh, not only is it conditioned upon suffering, but you notice that reigning has to do with you serving the Lord. Not just suffering. It has to do with serving. Suffer, uh, suffering and serving. So, all right, back to 2 Timothy. I want you to see that. I want you to get a hold of that, grasp that, and some people think, well, if I'm not a martyr then I won't, well, it has nothing to do with being a martyr. It has to do with you suffering, and suffering is not always physical. Um, some of you have suffered for years, and it was mental. It was grief. 
it was anguish. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that ye also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will also, he also will deny us. Verse 13, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's a great verse, isn't it? He cannot deny himself. Uh, if you something think about it, you could get so sorry and so sideways and so backwards on the Lord that you could deny that he's your Savior, and guess what? He'll never deny you. You're in him. He's in you. You're one with him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Look at verse 14. Paul says, of these things, put them in remembrance. So what things? Well, the things which they suffered so they can reign with him. You see that? Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. But to the subverting of the hearers. That word subverting, that's bringing somebody under the authority of something other than God. I'll say it again. That word subverting, that's bringing somebody under authority of something other than God. That's what subverting is. Look at Acts chapter 15. I'll show you an example of this. Acts chapter 15, verse 24. Acts chapter 15, verse 24, Paul says, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. You see that? Subverting the soul, your souls. And they're just trying, that's a group, the, the group of Judaizers there that were trying to bring uh, believers under the authority of something other than God. And that authority they were trying to bring them under was the law. I'll go to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, look at this thing in verse 7. Titus 1, 7, reason you should study your Bible. And so you can't be subverted. Now, I hate to say it like this, and it will sound negative, and I'm sure it is, but Christians are so unlearned and so unstudied today that uh, a lot of Christians can turn on a television show and a program and hear something that some religious person says, and they'll actually believe it. But they don't read their Bible, they don't study. And that's the ability of those uh, idiots there on TV to subvert your souls. And I guess that's a consequence for being such an unlearned and unstudied generation. The men that we're raising up in Christianity today, um, I don't, you can't even call them men. You can't. I guess you call them meh. <laughs> they're not men. Now, they're lazy and they won't study. But look at the qualifications here for a bishop, for a pastor. Verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless as the stewards of God, not self-willed, not soon angry not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. The gainsayers are those that are against the truth. All right. Verse 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Look at 11 whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Do you realize there's households in this community 
that uh, have subverted entire households. And actually in the context, they're teaching that you should be under the law. <laughs> Same thing. And that's subverting. Now uh, back to 2 Timothy. We've got to get moving here. Now here we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, a very familiar verse. The Bible says here in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now here in verse 15, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to show us how to study our Bible. The Holy Spirit's going to show us how to study our Bible. And there's a lot to be learned here. Uh, let me just give you a couple things, and you can write these down here. Uh, first of all, uh, if the Holy Spirit's going to teach us about uh, studying the Bible, number one, uh, you are to read the Scriptures. You are to read the Scriptures. Uh, number one, you are to read the Scriptures. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 19. If not, just write it down. I'll read the verse to you. Deuteronomy 17, 19, the Bible says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. You see, Christian, you and I are supposed to read the Scriptures. We're to read the Scriptures. And uh, not only read it, but uh, let me give you number two. You're supposed to read it, and you're supposed to believe the Scriptures. You're supposed to believe the Scriptures. That's Psalm 119, verse 160. Psalm 119, verse 160. The Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Isn't that a good verse? Thy word is true from the beginning. Um, one fellow, I've talked to a number of people uh, over the years, and people say, I've talked to people, and they'll say this, Well, there's errors in the King James Bible. And I'll say, Well, where are they at? And they can't tell me. <laughs> but they know there's errors in it. Well, my Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Now, there's 176 verses in Psalm 119, right? 176, right? And every one of those verses, except two of them, mention the word of God through the word statutes, words, commandments, testimonies or precepts or something like that. Isn't that pretty impressive? Longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. Now, I know this is just a dink, but you know what 176 is? That just happens to be 16 times 11. Isn't that a blessing? And in your lap, you have the authorized version, King James 1611 Bible. That's pretty good. Let me give you number three. Not only are you to do uh, believe it, not only are you to read it, but you're to meditate on the Word of God. That's verse 15, Psalm 119, verse 15. You're to meditate on the Word of God. The Bible says, I'll meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Meditate on it. You're supposed to think about it. Uh, put it through your head and think about it and peruse it and consider it and, and uh, talk about it. Meditate on it. You read it. You believe it. You meditate it. How about this one? I'll give you number four. You're supposed to pray for the revelation of the Word of God as a Christian. You're supposed to pray for the revelation of the Word of God as a Christian. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I would challenge a Christian when you read your Bible, say, Lord, would you just open my eyes? You say, that's corny. Of course it's corny. But you realize you're approaching a supernatural book, right? I'm, I'm approaching a supernatural book, and I'm a very uh, 
very mortal being, that means a very spiritual book is colliding with a very unspiritual person. You see the contrast? That's why you got to ask the Lord to open your eyes. And when you come before the Bible, you ought to ask the Lord to show you the revelation of His Word. And if you don't ask Him, do you really expect Him to? That's a good question. You think you're just going to stumble across it if you're not looking for it, if you're not asking for it? He says, Open now mine eyes, and I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Look at verse 34. He says, Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. I shall observe it with my whole heart. Some of you have been reading the Bible for 20 years or more. And you've read the same verses after, over and over and over again. And every once in a while, the Lord opens your eyes and you're like, man, that's always been there. But that sure does mean something, doesn't it? And he opens your eyes. You ought to be asking God for the revelation of his word. Let me give you this number five. You're to study the similitudes of the word of God. You're to study the similitudes of the word of God as or like the contrasts of God's word. That's Hosea 12.10. Hosea chapter 12 and verse 10. Now, how you're going to learn this Bible, besides by reading it, by believing it, by meditating upon it, is to learn the similitudes of the Word of God. In that book, God uses phrases in the words of as and like. And that he's trying to help you understand his Word. Hosea 12.10, he says, I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Let me give you number six here. You're, you're to study the doctrinal meaning of Scripture. You're to study the doctrinal meaning of Scripture. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3. You are to study the doctrinal meaning of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So you and I as Christians, and he says, uh, uh, study to show thyself approved unto God. You're supposed to study for its doctrinal meaning. That's the first application of Scripture. Uh, you're to study it so you can reprove, so that book can reprove you and tell you what's wrong. You see that? One of the reasons you ought to read that book doctrinally uh, is doctrinal, and then you ought to read it so it can tell you what's wrong. You know why Christians in 2023 as a whole do not know what is wrong? Because they're not reading the Bible, and the Bible is not talking to them. You read that book, that book will reprove you. You ever been reproved <laughs> by a parent, by the workplace? I mean, they just flat out tell you what's wrong with you. That's the Bible. Nobody likes that. I mean, I don't sit there in glory and being told what's wrong with me, but, man, the list is endless. But there's something else about that book when you read that book, and it sits there and reproves you. And tells you what is wrong, not only with this world, but what's wrong with you. That's why you're supposed to read it. So you're supposed to study it for its doctrinal meaning. You're supposed to study it so it can reprove you. Not only that, you're supposed to study it so it can correct you. You see that? For reproof, for correction. You read that book, that book will correct you if you let it. It will. It might be painful. It might cause a different course of action to be taken. And you're to study it so you can be instructed in righteousness. Now listen, not all Bible reading is getting tore up and beat up and told to shut up and all that stuff. But a lot of Bible reading and study is just so you can be instructed in how to live. And that's 2 Timothy 3.16 for instruction in righteousness. You know what you and I need? 
We don't know it all. We need instruction. We need instruction in righteousness. I was talking to a fellow in the last couple of days, been working with him, spent 30 years in the Air Force. And I asked him uh, how the Air Force was on continuing training. He's like, it's constant. It never ends. And it sounds like nursing and all. Fields that matter, fields that, uh, you know, take uh, their fields seriously. There's constant instruction. And it's like you, you, you sat in the same class ten times. But it's constant instruction, isn't it? And the Bible says over there in the book of Proverbs, I can't remember the reference, it says, reproofs of instruction are the way of life. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> it's just the way it is. You don't know everything, and you got to keep learning. So you're supposed to study that book so you can be instructed in righteousness. All right, back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. A good verse. If you don't know it, I'd memorize it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Every new Bible takes a slap at that verse. Bunch of scumbags is what they are. I say that with charity. Even the New King James, you know what the New King James says? Do your best. <laughs> you know what my best is on a Saturday morning? <laughs> it ain't what it is on a Sunday night. <laughs> do, do your best. That ain't even close. That's not even a dynamic equivalent if you're going to be a translator. Do your best to show thyself approved. What a bunch of baloney. There's only four times in your Bible that you're told to study, and here's one of them. And why would you take that out unless you were worried about someone getting a hold of the Word of God? So you're supposed to study. And the reason you study is not so you get a big head, of course, but so you're approved unto God. And notice in that verse, I know you know this, but let's just be reminded, you're going to have to work at it, aren't you? I don't care how long you've been saved, how many times you read through your Bible. That Bible says if you study that book, you're a workman. A workman. Now, you and I live in a generation where people try harder to avoid work than they do going after it. Amen? A workman. But the scriptures say a workman. If you're a workman, you put work into studying. And the benefit if you become a workman in studying that Bible, there's no reason why you have to be ashamed, it says. Look at it. It says, so the workman that needeth not be ashamed. So if you study it, and if you rightly divide it, like that verse says, you won't be ashamed. Now listen, there's no sense in studying the Bible if you won't rightly divide it. You say, what's the difference? Well, if you don't rightly divide, you will wrongly unite things in scriptures that don't belong there. You'll be putting yourself in the tribulation, and you'll be thinking you lost your salvation, and you got it back, and you're in Christ and out of Christ, and so forth and so on. And if you don't rightly divide, you'll wrongly unite. And you'll make God say things that he never intended for you as a church-age Christian to, to say. But then he says you're supposed to study in verse 16. Look, at when you study, you're supposed to study to shun some things. Verse 16, the Bible says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. See that? So as a Christian, you're supposed to study to shun profane and vain babblings. Man, the body of Christ is full of it. I mean, slap full of vain, vain babblings. <laughs> and you can tell who's lazy uh, as a Christian. You can tell who doesn't study because they're constantly entertaining this profane and vain babbling. I mean, some Christians never learn to shut their mouth because they won't study the Bible. Look at Acts 17. Now, that's just plain speech, isn't it? That's, that's not being cruel. That's not being rude. 
That's not being ridiculous. That's just being plain. Now, your parents used to be plain. When they, when they wanted to get your attention, they, they, just, they shot straight with you, didn't they? They'd say, no, Sonny, come here. And I really want to talk. They'd say, get over here. <laughs> Listen. And they weren't mad. They just didn't want to waste time, did they? And you find over there, what is it, uh, 2 Timothy, the spirit speaketh expressly. That's plainly, man. <laughs> and no sense, uh, you know, beating around the bush with this thing. Acts 17, 21. Uh, here's a great application of what you see in the body of Christ today because they won't study. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to post on Facebook and tweet on Twitter. <laughs> I added that last part. <laughs> you see that? They spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Boy, doesn't that tell at all? Man, back to 2 Timothy 2.17 here. We'll just drop that. Uh, we'll drop it right there. 2 Timothy 2.17. Bible says, And their word will eat as doth a canker. That's a cancer. Uh, like James chapter 5. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. So here, Paul, he's done the terrible thing. You know what he's done? Paul's gone to naming names. You see that? I want you to see in your King James Bible that Paul is naming names of two doctrinal heretics that have caused havoc in the church. And I want you to notice that. Because if that was to take place today, half the church would leave being upset because of name to name. <laughs> Amen, wouldn't they? That's just where we live, right? You say, well, yeah, back in the early 1900s, James Frank Norris uh, fired all his deacons. Don't try it, man. <laughs> but I want you to see that Paul, he calls them out. I want you to see there's some people who are turned over to Satan. They're turned over to Satan. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, uh, he adds a third one. It's uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. So you got three guys, and they're a bunch of doctrinal heretics, and they're teaching post-millennialism. We're not going to get into that. But I want you to see that Paul names them. And it's important that you know who the, the dividers are. And it's important, Paul says over in the book of Romans, that you mark them. you got to mark them. And you got to know who they are. And you don't sit there when they're doctrinally messed up. You don't sit there and you don't eat dinner with them. Amen? You don't sit there and have a meal. Now listen, you might be in a situation you can't get away from it. That might be the exception. Amen? <laughs> If your wife is the doctrinal heretic, you might have to eat dinner with her. <laughs> it's a joke. You all laugh. Amen. <laughs> but uh, you shouldn't be having a meal with them. You shouldn't be inviting them over for coffee. Why? A cancer will spread. And Paul names that stuff out. Look at verse 18. Here it is. Who concerning the truth have what? Erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So here's another reason why you study. You study so you don't overthrow people's faith and someone don't overthrow yours. You ever been talking to someone and you obviously you know you're saved and they know you're a Christian, they know you go to church and they saunter up to you and they catch you unprepared and they ask you some crazy off-the-wall question you, you were not even ready for it? Now, it might have been just vain, and, uh, vain babbling, right? That didn't deserve an answer. But what if it was a legitimate question? I've been asked legitimate questions. You know what? I wasn't ready for it. Say, what do you say? I'll have to get back with you. But you're supposed to study uh, so you don't overthrow people's faith, and, and yours doesn't get overthrown either. Peter says that you're supposed to have uh, an answer, the hope that lieth within you. 
That doesn't mean you think you've got to know everything, but, man, you ought to try. You ought to try. You ought to say, Lord, give me another chance. <laughs> give me another chance and uh, let them ask me about, uh, you know, where we go when we die, and I'll, I'll have it all. I'll, I'll go home and I'll study that thing and get that thing ready and just ask the Lord to give you another sh- shot at it. You know what I mean? But you study so uh, you, your faith isn't overthrown and you don't overthrow other people's faith. And uh, you help them. You and I are supposed to help people instead of overthrow their faith. And as a preacher, it's very important to be teaching truth. Amen? As a preacher, it's important to be preaching truth, not an opinion, not a preference, not a political plot, right? Here's why I think America needs to turn around back to God. Yeah, America should have turned around back to God back in the 1700s when they pretended that they were for God. (laughs) Amen? So a man who preaches or a Christian who teaches has to be very, very careful what they teach. Look at verse 19. Notice this thing. He says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now you notice here it says in verse 19, having this seal. So faith, uh, here's, uh, here's it's likened to, it's like a seal. It has two parts. Uh, consider uh, the days of old when a uh, king's ring would seal a letter, right? Wax is poured out of the king's ring, like in Daniel 6 and Esther 3, and it's stamped on that letter. Now that seal in the passage says two things. Number one, the Lord knoweth them that are his. You see it? The Lord knoweth them that are his. That's uh, just like John 10, 14, which says, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. That's the first part of the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And then the other part is if you name the name of Christ, then you're to depart from iniquity. And that's, uh, that's the last part of verse 19. Verse 19 says, The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So now here, uh, what follows verse 19 are things that are found in God's house. That's what we're going to look at just for a couple minutes here. Uh, following verse 19, or we're going to look at some things found in God's house. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, But in a great house, it's talking about God's house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. Now, here's a great passage. A great passage here. Uh, let me read you this verse in Romans 9:21. The Bible says, Hath not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Now, don't worry about it. And some of your Calvinists go crazy with that. You've got to remember there was no clay before the foundation. <laughs> Amen. But you'll notice that uh, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. You say, what's a vessel? The vessel are the people who God's shaping. You're like to a vessel. Like over there in uh, Jeremiah 48, 38, Moab is likened unto a vessel wherein is no pleasure. There's a likeness. You see, we're talking about reading and studying the Bible for its similitudes. Moab is like. You see that? Moab is likened unto a vessel wherein is no pleasure. Um, back to 2 Timothy 2. So a man's like a vessel. And continuing in verse 21, Paul says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel. There's the application. Unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. 
So in the context of the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, the context is the vessel has to be reading and studying the Word of God in verse 15. There's the context. Now look uh, uh, at 2 Timothy chapter 3, one chapter over. Verse 17, he's got to be reading God's Word, studying it, believing it. Now look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, 17. It says, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, unto all good works. And you'll notice also that the vessel back in the context of where we're at, not only has to, uh, he has to read and study the book, but in verse 19, that vessel is supposed to depart from iniquity, right? We just went over that. If you look at verse 22, that vessel is uh, fleeing from youthful lusts. In verse 22, that vessel is doing the best he can to follow righteousness. You see, separation is not just good enough to try to get away from everything that's bad. We've got to learn to follow the right things as a Christian, and that's where our balance many times is called into question. Everybody around us is separate in some way or form. Some people don't watch the news, but they're not even saved. Well, I could have a conversation with a person like that all day long. There's nothing more irritating to me than to run into somebody and all it is politically driven, politically motivated. You say, why? This is my personality. It doesn't mean I'm right and they're wrong. It's just who I am. But see, here's the thing. <coughs> You've got to learn to follow the right things. And in verse 22, that vessel, he's doing everything he can to follow righteousness. And look at verse 26. That vessel's got to be able to recover himself out of the snare of the devil. Isn't that something? You want to be the right kind of vessel. You want to be the right kind of vessel that God can use. And to be the right kind of vessel, you got to be able to be poured out. That's the hardest thing as a Christian, is letting God pour you out sometimes. And then you sit around and you're all poured out and you're all <laughs> empty, disgusted, and can't trust anybody and feel like everyone's abandoned you. And then God slowly starts to put the right things back in you. That's a process. Now, in the Bible, some vessels, uh, number one, they held oil. That's a type of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, some vessels, they held oil, like uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 3. Matthew 20, I'll just give you the reference on these. You guys can look these up later. There's a great study on vessels in the Bible. But some vessels in the Bible, number one, they held oil. Of course, uh, as we're going to go through in our study of the Holy Spirit, uh, he's pictured through oil, or earl, as we call it, <laughs> in the woods there. And other vessels, number two, they held manna, right? That's Exodus chapter 6, verse 33. So some vessels, they hold oil, type of the Holy Spirit. Some vessels, Exodus chapter 6, verse 33, they held manna. That's a type of what? That's a type of the Word of God. Fresh every day. You only get enough for one day. Isn't that a blessing? You ever try to live off of yesterday's Bible reading? You do it all the time. Amen. I'll admit it if you won't. <laughs> Don't work that way. It's fresh. It's new every morning. Number three, other vessels, they held incense. That's in Numbers chapter 7, verse 14. You say, what's that? That's a type of prayer. That's a type of prayer. Numbers chapter 7, verse 14. Other vessels held incense. And uh, uh, other vessels, number four, they're polluted with sin. They're full of all kinds of stuff. That's over in Daniel chapter 5. You got Belshazzar, the playboy, right? And they're uh, worshiping uh, the gods of gold and the gods of silver, and they got a bunch of booze in uh, the vessels that were dedicated to God. And uh, you want to you, you you know what makes God mad? You take his vessel and you put a bunch of sin in it. That makes God mad. That'll preach, amen. <laughs> you 
and uh, Belshazzar over there having that party. That's Daniel chapter 5, 1 to 4, but just four different types of vessels there in the Bible. I'm sure there's more. Uh, you've heard it say uh, there are some pans uh, uh, that you make bread with, amen? Some, some pans for cornbread, and some pans are bed pans. <laughs> See the difference? Some to honor and some to dishonor. <laughs> but um, some vessels are to honor in 2 Timothy 2.20, some are to dishonor. Look at verse 21 again. Notice it says, if a man therefore purge himself from these. You ever just stop and ask yourself the question what the these are? If man is like to a vessel here, we won't get too far and deep on this, but just something to consider. In the realm of separation, if vessels are like men, right? That's what we looked at. And Paul says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, what is he talking about? He's talking about the vessels of dishonor. Do you realize that you're going to have to make some decisions sometimes as a Christian to separate from dishonorable vessels? Not only your own sinfulness and to be poured out, but maybe other Christians who are dishonorable vessels. You're going to have to learn to purge yourself from those. You're going to have to learn to separate yourself from those, not because you're better, but because why? Because you want God to use you. Amen? You want God's touch on your life. You want God's hand on your life. Remember, Abraham didn't receive the blessing until he separated from Lot. Man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Sanctified, like we preached a month or so ago, that's separated, so set apart, and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now that word meet, M-W-E-T, that's Old English, meaning match mate, match mate. Like in Genesis 2.18, a help meet for him. Not a help mate, but a help meet. Uh, uh, Luke uh, 15.32, uh, the father says, it was meet that we should make merry. So it's a match mate, the exact thing that was needed. And so now further instructions are going to be given here. Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. Further instructions given. He says, flee also youthful lust. So this makes sense. Timothy's a young man. Paul's the old preacher, and Paul's warning Timothy about sensual problems. Why? Because he's a young man. <laughs> Amen. And then he says, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So you've got to stay away from those that are impure. You've got to stay away from those that are impure. You've got to avoid that stuff, he says in verse 23. Right, verse 23 says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. I want you to remember that the first thing the devil does when he shows up in the garden, I know you know this, is he questions the word of God. He questions the word of God. Yea, hath God said. Now, did he say it? Did, did God say, you shall not eat of every tree? Sure he did. So the first thing I want you to realize, well, in your life as a Christian, many things that the devil will approach you on, he'll, he'll get you to question what God says. And so Paul says, but foolish... And unlearned questions avoid. You say, what are unlearned questions? Where did Cain get his wife? What's the answer? His father-in-law. Right? That's the answer. That's one of those questions you can't figure out in the Bible. Like, how about this one? Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? That's kind of dumb, ain't it? It's funny, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Of course they did have a belly button. 
Who cares? Does it affect my eternal security? No. <laughs> you see what it means? A lot of those questions are just designed to throw you off. The Bible says, knowing that they do gender strifes. Well, you're just saying that because you're a man. <laughs> oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> right? Avoid it. Avoid it. I had, uh, when we came here back in 2014, I had uh, this uh, old gal. She says, I want to know what you think about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I says, I believe exactly what the Bible says about it. Don't you, sister? <laughs> you say, what did you do? I was avoiding it. I know what I believe. Amen. <laughs> Don't you believe what the Bible says about it? Well, sure you do. That's how you avoid that stuff. You say, no, you skirted the question. It wasn't her place to ask in the first, you know, to begin with. You avoid it. So you got to learn to avoid foolish and unlearned questions. It only brings about strife. It does. Here's a great one when you're witnessing, when you're trying to get a word in for the Lord, and someone goes on this off-the-wall question like, you know, who's making umbrellas in the millennium? Not, not that they're going to ask that, but you know what you go? You, you do this. You do something like this. I'll tell you what. Give me about two minutes, and I'll come back to that question. You avoid it. You avoid it. You go back to are you saved? Where will you spend eternity? you got to learn to avoid foolish questions, and they'll throw you, man. They'll, I mean, you'll be, you'll be trying to win somebody to the Lord or get a uh, witness to somebody, and they'll come up with the most dumbest things in the world, you know, and you're like, and you, you'll feel like since you're a Christian and you read the Bible, like you're supposed to have the answer. Well, let me tell you what, just avoid a lot of that stuff. <clears throat> it only brings about strife. That's really good advice for a Christian. Now look at verse 24. The Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. Now what Paul is dealing with and talking about here is personal one-on-one -on -one dealings. Personal one-on-one -on -one dealings. That's important because people get to this passage here and they'll think that it's applying to how a man's supposed to preach in the pulpit. Oh, that's horse feathers. This is dealing with one-on-one -on -one, uh, individual basis. Verse 24 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And this is personal work, not dealing with reprobates or with modernists. All right, uh, but Paul is speaking to a young minister about doing personal work. This has nothing to do with rebuking sin. Amen, you ought to rebuke sin. If you've never rebuked sin, I'm going to pray that the Lord will let you rebuke sin one time this week. <laughs> just, just blow it right out your stack, amen. <laughs> Uh, but he's not talking about rebuking sin. It has nothing to do with feeding the flock of God. This is one-on-one -on -one personal work. Look at verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now here, uh, what's important for a preacher and a personal worker is to be able to recognize a saint or a sinner that's opposing himself. A saint or a sinner that's opposing himself. <coughs> Now listen, if a man receives the instruction from God, God will give that man a break. I'll say it again. If a man is willing to receive instruction from God, God will give the man a break. Notice it says in verse 25, it says, acknowledging of the truth. You see that? Not just getting saved. Not just getting saved. Uh, uh, but you've got to notice, look at verse 26. It says, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And here's a real strange passage. It's a real strange passage. Because here, if you believe the Bible, the devil gets permission from God to mess with men. And that's what you got, you got to remember that. The devil will get permission from God to mess with a man who will not believe the truth, 
even though he's saved. Uh, some examples of that, not direct examples, but uh, the devil's got to get permission is Job. Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Uh, 1 Kings 22, verse 22. You got Ahab, and the Lord, uh, I was up in heaven talking to a bunch of spirits, and he sent a lying spirit to provoke Ahab to go to battle and die. See that? And in Zechariah chapter 3, you got uh, Satan resisting Joshua, the high priest there. And the men in 2 Timothy that we're at, they're taken captive in snares because of sin. Because of sin. Now, if the devil wants to take a man captive, uh, that is his will. He can always find ground. He can always find ground. And, but you'll notice there is no recovery. We're going to have to stop here. But there's no recovery from the snare of the devil without acknowledgement of the truth. You know why some people are a mess and will always remain a mess as a Christian? Because they will not acknowledge the truth. Back in verse 25, you've got to acknowledge the truth that you're a sinner. You've got to acknowledge the truth that the devil is evil and he's got a hold of you. You've got to acknowledge the truth that God's righteous and his word is 100% right. And you've got to acknowledge the truth to get out of the snare of the devil. Ain't that something? We'll pick up this a little bit more about verse 25, 26 next time we're together. But you've got to realize here today, and we'll close here, there is no recovery from the snare of the devil without acknowledgement of the truth. And you know what? God will never let a man be recovered until he's willing to receive instruction. All right, we'll stop right there, 25 and 26.